This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Well, this sucks. Burgess, Columbia, you ever been up here? Uh, I've been up in like Alberta, Grand Prairie. Oh yeah. Kind of right on. Um, I think when I was, when I was in Alberta, we were maybe five miles from like the BC line. Oh yeah. So we we're close. Cool. Cool. Uh, good buddy of mine, Trevor, Trevor man, Teufel, uh, top of the flyway outfitters. Right. He's a duck goose guy up there, but, uh, yeah, I was up there filming some stuff for Ozonics a couple of years back. Yeah, yeah, and I seen uh, I seen you out in Saskatchewan there too, doing a moose hunt and, mm-hmm. and whitetail hunt. Got a big dude. Bowl. I love I love Canadians. I love Canada. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, man. I I had known Steve Eklund for a long time, and um, I used to always tease him, and I'm like, dude, you're my favorite Canadian. He's like, I'm the only Canadian, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's um, not uh, there's not a lot of. A lot of Canadians up here. It's funny when I talk to uh, you guys down there, you know, um, I had one guest from California and, and he didn't realize that there was more people in California state than there is in all of Canada and kind of blew him away. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's crazy. It's hilarious, man. Yeah, I, I love it. I've had a good opportunity. I've, uh, I've hunted in Ontario, um, Saskatchewan, and then filmed uh, up in Alberta. So uh, where are we hitting you up from today? I'm in Iowa. Southeast Iowa. Most people are like, Southeast Iowa, where's that? I'm like, uh, Lee and Tiffany are 15 miles down the road. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know where you're at. Yeah, you know, I remember another Johnny Utah from, uh, he played for the Ohio State Buckeyes. That's it. He was, no, yeah, number nine, I believe. Um, you know, blew out his knee in that uh, Rose Bowl game. <laughs> One of the best movies of all time. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's where the nickname comes from. No kidding, eh? Yep, yep. So in my previous career, uh, I spent a year of 16, 16 years in, in law enforcement, undercover narcotics. And 
I did a little bit of work with um, FBI Safe Streets. And when I was doing that, I told my business partner, I said, hey, you know, he's like, I've been trying to get a hold of you the past weeks, you know, a couple weeks, I haven't heard from you. It's like, well, I've been doing some undercover stuff with, with FBI out of Cincinnati. And, and he goes, Oh my God, you're the real Johnny Utah. The name just stuck, man. Yeah, no doubt. Now, uh, I know a bit about you, but for the listeners, maybe we can just start from the beginning and, uh, uh-huh. and we'll kind of just, uh, lay it all down, you know, where, uh, where you started from and all the way up to where you are now. So grew up in central Kentucky and that's, that's horse racing, thoroughbred. And at the time, a lot of tobacco, you know, ag crop fields and stuff. And there wasn't a lot of whitetails in central Kentucky. And people are like, are you kidding me? Like, you're not a hundred years old, you know, like how's that possible? Um, but there just wasn't a whole lot of whitetails. And so we didn't, we didn't do it. My dad wasn't a hunter. And I think a lot of times people, when they get into hunting, it's more of a legacy thing because, you know, you need somebody to kind of teach it to you and show you what it is to either a know how to do it, appreciate it, understand it. And then also the biggest thing is access, right? So we lived on eight acres that was all cattle pasture and there wasn't a single tree on the property. Um, So hunting was not something that we did growing up. We fished and it wasn't until after I moved to Northern Kentucky and I started my police career. One of my buddies was like, he's like, dude, we ought to, we ought to get into deer hunting. And he was from Texas. So target rich environment, you know, down there. And I said, I don't know anything about deer hunting. It's like, how's that possible? He's like, you live, you grew up in Kentucky, you know, you hillbillies are supposed to be all about eating roadkill and killing deer and, you know, eating possums and stuff. And I'm like, look, man, there are parts of Kentucky like that, but in, in my neck of the woods, it's all horse and cattle and we just don't have deer. So to age myself, I'm 44. I went to the public library, checked out books on how to be a whitetail hunter. Like it was like whitetail 101 and secrets of whitetail hunting and things like that. And that's how I got into it initially. And and like a lot of people, you know, I picked up a rifle first. That was the first thing that, you know, I did. And that was my introduction. And I did that for several years and and it got to the point where rifle hunting was almost becoming too easy. I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm an expert sniper, but... I did receive some extra training, you know, via the government on how to shoot guns. And, and it got to the point where I was shooting whitetails, where I felt these animals, they don't even know I exist on earth at all. None whatsoever. This has gotten too easy. So, and I'm not bashing rifle hunting. That was just me and my pursuit and where I was at that time. So I figured that maybe bow hunting was something that I needed to do. And a buddy of mine at the local bow shop, he ended up giving me a bow um, simply because he just did not want me to get out of hunting. And I had a toddler at the, you know, at home. And I thought, man, if I try to go buy a bow and a sight and a rest and arrows and quiver broadheads, my wife's probably going to divorce me and lock the doors. So (laughs) he gave me a bow. And that helped me out a whole lot. Um, and, and things just kind of took off from there and was, was bow hunting, but I was still very much like your weekend, not weekend hunter, but I might only whitetail hunt two weeks a year and it would be broken up, you know, over the three month season or something like that, you know? But, um, once we got into like, say 2013, um, I became a co-owner of a company called Wicked Tree Gear. 
and we manufactured hand saws and telescoping pole saws, and they're sold in Cabela's, Bass Pro, Field and Stream, still to this day. And my business partner there, he had an online hunting show. It's called White Knuckle Productions, and it was between him and Todd Graff at bowhunting.com, or also known as Bow Hunter Die, you know, video web show. Those were two of the earliest web shows, really, that were out there that were producing content, you know, habitually. Um, and he asked me, he said, you ought to start filming your hunts. And, and I'm like, this is, no, like, I don't, I'm not taking a camera. I hunt to hunt. I want to be outside. I want to be in it. I don't want to be thinking about, you know, having a video camera or is is, is the animal in focus or, you know. Hey, hunting's hard enough as it is, right? Yeah. So, um, but he talked me into doing it. And in 2013, I, I filmed my first velvet um, bow kill in Kentucky and loved it because I fell into, I don't have to tell my buddies about it. I could just like hit play and be like, look, there's, cause there's no way that you can ever tell the story of a hunt that's going to paint the exact picture of how it was. And, and you know, like it is like once captured yeah. on video. And so I just, I loved it, man. I fell into it. Um, things progressed. I made a lot of connections through owning wicked and then ultimately we sold wicked. And that was when we sold wicked, I had to make some choices for the first year. I stayed on board with the company, the parent company that we sold Wicked to. They wanted me to stick around to help design new stuff and and kind of be there through the transition process, right? Uh, which is pretty normal, you know, with acquisitions nowadays. So I did that and continued to network and make make more connections in the space. And and then when that deal or contract per se ended, it was like, okay, now what am I going to do? I'm no longer a police officer. I retired from that. I didn't really want to continue doing that style of a hunting show. Um, but in the meantime, I had picked up a camera and really taking to um, a liking to photography. So I thought maybe this is a business model that I could do and just start providing product lifestyle photography um, and not just grip and grins, you know, not the hero picks, but really provide these companies with the marketing that they need. And that was the thing that I noticed when I was with, with Wicked is I was always calling the people that we were sponsoring. And I'm like, I need more content. And they're like, well, I just sent you a picture of my dead muley or my dead elk or my dead whitetail. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't help me sell a handsaw whatsoever. Yeah. I need pictures of you using the handsaw or maybe a little video clip of how you trimmed a shooting lane or you trimmed access, you know, into your tree stand setup or something like that. I was like that, you know, I have to, I can't say, I can't take the consumer and go A to Z. I need to show them A, B, C, D, E, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? I need to mm -hmm. show how this product works and let's do it in a good way through high quality, you know, photography. So, you know, they always talk about whatever business you start is going to solve a problem. And to me, that was a problem that I faced. So I thought, well, maybe other people are facing it too. Um, so I started out doing product lifestyle a little bit on the side and that kind of got the ball rolling to the point that I was well, I was ready to make that transition where I'm not making a million dollars, but I can at least buy ramen noodles right now. So let's go ahead and do the leap of faith. I left that hunting show, started my own hunting show. Um, and so that has been kind of the bread and butter, you know, of my revenue stream is having my hunting show and then doing freelance photography. I found a way to incorporate both of those worlds into, 
into what I do. And, you know, a lot of the marketing partners that I have that are on board with my show, you know, I'm not just selling usage on the show. You're not going to get, you know, you're not just seeing the product being used in episodes. I'm also providing them with physical, tangible photography assets that are their property and they get to use them. Because at the end of the day, I can't guarantee how many people are going to watch my show. And even if I'm providing them a million views, what's the conversion? You know, I don't know. Um, But what I can guarantee is the value of that photo. You know, right. so that's the way I've structured my my contracts, and and that has continued to parlay. And then a lot of my uh, marketing partners have then come to me now and said, "Well, let's take it a step further. Because you do have a product design background, here's a new product we're thinking about launching. Help us launch it." So I get to now. I've been able to start another business called Johnny Utah Creative, where I help do consulting and product design work and logo design work for clients. And then I can build the photo content around their launch for them, whether it be their magazine photography or brochure catalog, trade show pictures and things like that. Um, Then uh, most recently um, I started missing having a product. Yeah. I sold a product, you know, and I was like, I kind of like having a product of my own and I'm already burning the candle at both ends. So what else can I do? And, Why not start uh, from the middle, eh? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I started a I started a turkey call company, and which is one of the most saturated markets, you know, categories in the space, especially here in the lower forty eight. And I thought I'm going to start a turkey call company, and I'm going to be very blunt and to the point. I'm going to call it Bourbon Barrel Calls because all of the calls are made from reclaimed Kentucky bourbon barrel heads. So we're not cool. cutting any new trees down. We're using a reclaimed wood source. Uh, when, when you say head there, sorry. Uh, when you say head, is that the, that's the, the lid of the, the top? Lid, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, 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 gotcha. yeah. Yeah. So you can call them lids, heads, you yeah. know, kind of the same, but um, yeah. So I started sourcing these and I'm, like I said, I'm from Kentucky. This is where bourbon, you know, came from. So, yeah. um, you know, we, we fancied up the strikers and do a little wax dripped logo on the, on the top of the striker. And we offer some custom stuff as well that we do for a lot of companies and you know like john dudley with knock on tv he ordered uh uh, like 110 of them last year and you know loophole they've done they ordered 50 of them and you know a lot of times people will buy them for gifts you Mm -hmm. know and a lot of people thought it was a novelty thing you know they're like oh i'm buying this turkey call and because the whole tie-in is that a lot of turkeys like to roost in oak trees Mm -hmm. bourbon to be bourbon it has to be held in a charred white oak wood barrel oh no kidding so there's the kind of the tie-in right you know uh, with the source of the wood and it's got a little bit of a green source to it because i'm not Mm -hmm. cutting down new trees to make these um five dollars from every purchase also goes back to um to nwtf and an organization called the white oak initiative which is a team of biologists that is dedicated to basically the reforestation of white oak trees because through deforestation and just natural uh, attrition, furniture making, roadways, mm-hmm. neighborhoods, um, we're going to run out of white mature white oaks. And right. so 
that's that's been really cool to be a part of. And like I said, the the call tells the story. They're all handmade. There's nothing made in a factory with robotics or lasers or you know any of that kind of stuff. I mean, absolutely every single call has been hand glued by me. And wow. um, the business is about two years old, and we've sold about fourteen hundred calls so far. Oh, why turkey calls? Like, did you have a background? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, growing up in Kentucky, turkeys and whitetails; those are the first two animals that I ever. I ever hunted. And that's, that was in that early years of cutting my teeth, you know, in hunting, um, you know, was, was whitetails and turkeys. And, and it's funny because I also had a conversation with a buddy and, and I said, you know, even in a saturated category, if you have a good product, you know, that's the number one thing. It has to be good quality, but number two, it also has to have a back end story. Um, I said, I think you can pretty much make anything a go. And he made a comment. He's like, what about turkey calls? I'm like, ooh, that's a saturated one right there. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, and how do you compete with all of the $29, you know, um, foreign, we'll call them foreign made Mm -hmm. calls from other countries that are being shipped in for pennies on the dollar. (laughs) I said, what if you do a handmade call, do them limited runs? You're never going to, I'm never going to compete with, you know, a $30 turkey call. That's not going to happen. Um, but if somebody wants something special that's handmade and tells a good backstory, uh, I think, I think it'll work. So it was kind of like, all right, bet, you know, let's see if it'll go. And, and it's, I tell you, the other thing that it's done is, you know, I get a lot of people that say, man, it seems like, you know, you're kind of scattered. You got your hands on a lot of different things. You know, you have the hunting show and you're doing freelance photography and, and you're doing marketing consulting. And then you have bourbon barrel turkey calls, but if you think about it, sorry, sorry. Uh, are you married? You got wife and kids at home? Yeah. Too? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Married, okay. Yeah, married 22 yeah. years, three kids. Okay. Uh, very, very I had to ask understand. because I, I have three kids <laughs> and a wife. And uh, I mean, that is a lot for some people alone. Never mind. Yeah. All the other exactly. hats you got going on there. Yeah. So if you, if you start putting all the pieces of the puzzle together because of bourbon barrel calls, I have a leg up because I do have a product design background. And I understand packaging and, and I understand that side of it. I'm able to build my own website. I'm able to do my own photography for the yeah. business. So I'm not spending any money you know, there. The other part of it is, is through marketing. As I learn different things about promoting my own business, I can then now take that to my other clients of Johnny Utah Creative and say, hey, here's an ad spin that I did with Bourbon Barrel and it worked very well. Let's try it for your company. Or here's a way that I launched this product and I think we can do the same style to launch your product. The other part of it is with my hunting show, Primal Divide, I now have a free platform to promote my calls on. A hundred percent for free. I don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to, Bourbon Barrel doesn't have to pay John Mulligan, you know, mm-hmm. to, yeah. to do that. So right out of the gate, the first thing I did when I launched the turkey calls is I took one of my calls and I did a single season archery grand slam in one month. And, you know, just used one of my calls wow. on all four different species. And, you know, like I said, archery in a month, single season grand slam. And there's a lot of people that have been trying to do that with a shotgun for a lifetime. Right. Um, so that was, that gave me a lot of content right out of the gate to help launch that business. And it was great content for my hunting show too. Mm-hmm. So all of the, like I said, all of these things from the outside looking in, it looks like I'm scattered, but they all feed off of each other. Right. There's a method there. So that's me, man. That, that brings me, that brings us pretty much up to speed as to where I'm at. 
Um, and, you know, now the bow hunting has evolved into all animals, you know, mm -hmm. and, the, uh, you know, Canada, lower 48, all over. Um, I even recently went back to doing a little bit of rifle hunting as well. After taking like 15 years off of doing rifle hunts, I've done a little bit of rifle hunting again. And, and uh, like I said, I have nothing against it. It was just, that was my pursuit at that time. And that's what I enjoyed doing. And, and um, but, you know, I'm also aware that sometimes when producing a show i've only got three or four days to hunt and maybe i could get it done um but sometimes that rifle can speed up some of those hunts you know what i mean yeah and sometimes definitely. there's just animals that they're almost just virtually impossible to get into you know get into close range on the ground you know with the boat oh yeah definitely man work more hours where did that come from yeah so when i was a teenager um, obviously I, I guess when you wearing as many hats as you do you got to find a way to work more hours yeah yeah well and that was the thing I, when i was a kid i i went to my dad i was trying so in kentucky you have to be 16 to get a driver's license so i was probably 14 14 and a half and i went to my dad and i said hey you know i got this 16th birthday coming up in a year you know what i mean two years away and i want to start saving money now so i can buy a car when i turn 16 and he said well you just got to work more hours and i'm like what i'm like there's no like get rich quick scheme you can teach me or there's no tips you can tell me about and he's like look man anything worth having anything worth earning um, you can spend a lot of time thinking of all the different ways that you can shorten the learning curve and do this, do that. But the easiest way is just to put your head down and just get to work, you know? Yeah. And, uh, as I got older, that same motto, then I learned it transitioned to everything in life. I mean, I'm very happy that I've been married 22 years and it took work, you know, there's ups and downs in marriages mm -hmm. and everything that we do in life. And, you can't be willing to give up so easy. And so that took work. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm huge, big into fitness and, and going to the gym all the time. I mean, that's a big, big, huge, huge part of my life. Maybe the number one principle of my life. And it takes time. You're not going to go to the gym tomorrow and be in shape, No. but going to the gym every single day over the course of a year, two years, three years, four years, you know what I mean? It, it you know, it takes time. And if, if somebody's religious or they want to improve their connection with their faith, it doesn't happen overnight. But you know, if you're, if you have strong moral values and every day you're better today than you were yesterday, then you start moving the needle, you know, over time. Yeah. So that's been my whole thing. It's just work more hours. And it's funny because I also have another company called Work More Hours and, and we sell apparel. Um, it, and that business was set up as a fundraiser. Um, my father passed away about a year and a half ago. Oh, so about. thank you. Thank you. And um, so we started a memorial fund, basically. So this company is what feeds that memorial fund. So it's kind of a nonprofit because I don't take a dollar out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um but it's not technically a, a 501c3, but so we sell apparel and then we do a big memorial race, stock car race every oh, year. Oh, cool. It pays the purse for that down in Kentucky. And my dad was a big race fan. And don't and tell I, me you are, you're a racer or something. Oh yeah. I, I used to race dirt lay models myself. <laughs> number 19 tattooed on, that was my race car number. Um, oh, badass. Yeah. So I drove, I drove uh, dirt late model stock cars and competitively, you know, competed in that. And, uh, I tell you, there's nothing like sliding sideways with a 900 horsepower motor. Um, oh, so that's did, one, I, that's one of my bucket list things, man, is to go watch uh, a NASCAR race. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did that. And my dad was a huge racing fan and, and car owner. He owned a lot of cars over the years. And uh, he was just kind of a staple at those dirt tracks, you know, back in, back home in Kentucky. So uh, kind of the grassroots of racing where it all started. And so we, uh, we host a big race every year. Last year, we had a $10,000 to win race um, down in Kentucky at this track called Ponderosa Speedway, which is ironically where I won my first uh, feature event at as well. So it's cool. That's coming up July 8th. And um, yeah, that's actually on my list to do this week is to start calling and soliciting some support and start getting that information out there on, on that race. <laughs> Last year, it was standing crowd. I mean, there was probably 400 people that didn't have seats in the bleachers that were just having to stand around the fence and watch the race. And um, it was, it was awesome, man. It was crazy, yeah. crazy turnout. They sold a lot of hot dogs and funnel cakes that night at the concessions. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. 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 I bet so, it's been uh, a long wait too after uh COVID and all that, that BS that was going on. So oh, that's, that's good to that's see, man. So nice. Yeah. Getting everybody back together again and, and doing stuff outdoors, and, yeah. you know, mass free and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah it's been a, been a ton of fun and, um, yeah, so that's that's where the work more hours comes from, and it's been kind of my mantra, motto. Um, it's the basis of everything that I do, and um, I try to teach people. And a lot of times, people ask me; they say, "Work more hours." Well, I'm trying to work less hours. That's crazy, you know. You right. work till yeah. you die, and, and I'm like, "Wrong kind of work." Thinking about it from nine to five aspect, and. Um, and I said, if you put in a bunch of time, energy, and effort into your marriage, what is that called? Well, putting in work. Oh, there mm-hmm. you go. Just mm-hmm. work more hours. You know, it's all you can do. Um, and I think that is one thing that I've also seen as a dad with my children, that one of the key differences that I've seen in generations is, you know, I was taught that it might take time. Yeah. You might not get to your goal tomorrow. Whereas my kids, they kind of think that if they're going to get good at something, if in five minutes, if they're not good at it, they're just ready to give up. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you there. uh, So, and and that's, that's kind of been one of those things that I've really tried to teach my kids is if your goal is to make it to the NBA, that's not good. If your goal is to enjoy the game of basketball and enjoy playing every day, Mm -hmm. you got a chance. Yeah, because even if you don't reach the goal, at least you're not going to be disappointed. You had fun on the journey. Yeah, um, yeah. Man. So I was like, you have to, you have to enjoy the walk um, more so than the destination. I guess is a, another way of putting it. Yeah, it's funny. I find the exact same thing now. You know, I'm I'm 43 myself. I got three kids, and we were always taught if you want something, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to earn it. Nothing's going to be given to you in this life for free. It's not going to be handed to you. Yeah, and it's funny. You know, I find even with the guys that work for me, the younger generation, they just expect everything to be handed to them. And if it's not if it's not instant, they don't want anything from it. They have no gratification no. of any hard work or you know you know that's one thing I struggle with my kids is um you know just i gotta just pound it into him you know hey if you want this enjoy it like my son's heavy into baseball now he's just get into him like listen you can achieve anything you want out of baseball but you have to want it only you can push yourself to do it and you got to try your hardest and you got to finish it man Mm -hmm. that's exactly right yeah it's just a different it's a different time man it's it's crazy how much has changed in you know 
I mean, 30 years or so it's, uh, hopefully we don't lose that. I know that, you know, and it's funny cause there's a lot of parents that just, they're okay with it. You know, I find, I find a, parent, a lot of parents, they're just, they're okay with, you know, okay, well, you know, th- that's fine. You started it. You don't have to finish it. It's okay. You know, yeah. it, it's good enough. It's good enough. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. It's a, it's a bad precedent to start. Um, it, you know, I remember when I was a kid and, and I wanted to play soccer physically, I, I probably had a really good build for soccer. Um, I was decent at it, but I wasn't great at it. And I remember going to my dad one time and I was like, I think I want to quit soccer. Like this isn't fun. And the reason why it wasn't fun is because I wasn't as good as I hoped I would be. And I didn't have that mindset, right. You know, I wasn't enjoying the game for the game. I only wanted to play because I thought I was going to kick ass and dominate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And um, he's like, no, you can't quit. I'm like, what? He said, because that that'll start a precedent that anything you don't want to do in life or it's not going your way, it's just so easy to quit. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so he made me stick it out. Same thing. You know, anytime I wanted to play football, I wanted to play basketball or golf or whatever. So I was very thankful that my parents, you know, and I and I say this to my kids all the time. I was like, the difference between me and you is my parents didn't raise a quitter. They wouldn't let me be a quitter. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So anytime they want to play a sport or pick up an activity, I'm like, that's fine. But you're not going to just give up on it tomorrow if it doesn't go well. No, mm-hmm. no, dad. I'm telling you, like, I want to do this. I'm like, well, then you're going to do it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's, you're not going to quit. I'm not letting you quit. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's, that's the biggest thing. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're you're a kid or an adult, if it's uh, fitness, working out, hunting, yeah. uh, anything you do, you're only going to get out of it what you put into it. And, you know, it's I see it all the time with guys hunting from the beginning. They're looking at it on Instagram. They're seeing big bucks going down. They're seeing, yeah. you know, moose and and whatever, right? Whatever, whatever they're looking at, whatever they set their goal on. And then they get their, you know, they go, they get their hunting license, they get a firearm, or a bow. Usually they start with a firearm. Um, and then they get into it and they're like, Oh, it's too hard. I'm just not going to do it anymore. And you're like, well, I mean, you're looking at pictures. You didn't see the lifetime of hard work and sweat that the guys put it into getting that. Mm -hmm. You're just looking at the end game. And that's the problem. You need to, you need to look long-term and if you quit now, you're never going to get, you're never going to get to where you want to get if you don't put the hard work and sweat in. One of my videographers, He's fairly new to hunting, um, only done it a few years, but collectively over those three years, probably has hunted a third of what I hunt in a single year. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's, and I've seen him get frustrated with not having success in the field. And um, I, I sat him down one day and just kind of had a talk with him. And I said, dude, you got to think about this for a second. Yes, I've only been doing this hardcore for 10 years, Um, but you didn't see the 10 years, 12 years prior to that when I wasn't killing anything. And even the first few years of this 10-year period, I I was killing maybe one buck a year, maybe two turkeys and a buck or something like that. And I said, you're seeing where I'm at now after 20 years of kicking ass. Yeah. You know, and grinding it out, you know, to get to where I'm at. So you can't compare where you're at in hunting with where I'm at in hunting. Instead, what you need to do is you need to look at it more as 
man, I'm getting some dope opportunities to get to go hunt with John and learn and see yeah. some of this stuff that he's doing and how his approach is um, yeah. not a comparison. You know? Yeah. And it's funny you say that because having a mentor is nothing to take for granted. And it's funny because I had a great mentor. I had many great mentors mm -hmm. growing up and I took them for granted. And yeah. it's funny now I see in the industry how much that's lacking in hunting. That information and just everything about it, the work ethic you get from mentorship, that is absolutely nothing to take for granted in any means. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely, you're correct. And I didn't have a lot of those mentors, mm -hmm. you know, um, my buddy that, uh, that I hunted with that from Texas, you know what I mean? That wanted to be a deer hunter. I don't think he had ever killed a whitetail either <laughs> himself. So we were both like learning from these books and, and I'll never forget and not to bash Walmart or anything like that, you know, our version of uh, Canadian Tire, which in my opinion, Canadian Tire is way better than Walmart. Like I went to Walmart and I'm, I'm like, okay, I need camouflage. And I just grabbed some stuff off the shelf and I didn't know, I didn't know anything about layering or anything like that. I froze my butt off. It was the most miserable experience of my life. Um, so there's so many things that you learn yeah. that whether you have to do it on your own and it does help if you've, if you've got somebody to teach, you know, learning curve and learn that learning curve from to expedite some things, but it, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to learn. And, yeah. you know, you can study and study and study and, and having, like you said, having a mentor is huge, but also at the end of the day, it's, it's just time, yeah. you know? Yeah. You have to, you have to mess up that hunt 50 mm -hmm. times oh, yeah. before you learn, okay, let's not do that again. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and there's nothing, I don't think anybody can really teach you. No. Um, you know, you have to learn it. You have to see it on your own, you know? Oh yeah, but, uh, absolutely, I, man. I like that quote. It's, um, you know, don't bitch about the results you didn't get from the work you didn't do. <laughs> I like that too. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard that before, but that's a good one. Yep. Yep. And, uh, so I, I say that to my kids all the time, you know, my, my oldest, he runs track and cross country and he's like, ah, I didn't have a really good time this week or whatever. And I said, yeah, well you didn't go, you skipped a couple of morning runs, you skipped an afternoon run, and, yeah. you know, stuff like that. And I was like, mm, you know, <laughs> there you yeah. have it. Well, and that's just it. I mean, like in my household growing up, there was no, uh, there's no dessert with skipping dinner. So, um, uh -huh. oh yeah. 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 Well, and now granted, I'm very appreciative of my parents and, and the upbringing that I had as a general work ethic perspective and the and very loving home. There was never a lack of anything like that. Um, but, you know, my dad was kind of old school in the sense where I remember as a freshman in high school, I finished like second in a, in a regional varsity meet, um, which meant grade nine, I was competing against grade 12. And we were in a big region, mm -hmm. a lot of schools, 20, 22 different schools in this region. And, and I finished second. And I mean, I was ecstatic, you know, here I am grade nine and, and, you know, almost won this race and I'm jumping up and down. I'm hysterically happy. My mom, she's almost in tears. The coach is like, you're the man, you know, all my teammates are all proud. And my dad's like, what are you so happy for? You didn't win. And I was like, that was, I went from 10 to zero. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I, 
I really hate you right now. You know, that's like <laughs> the meanest thing to ever say, but I get it. You know, yeah. he was just, he was very old school uh-huh. and he came from that cloth where he was just wanting me to never settle for second. Yeah. You know, he always wanted to make sure that I had that desire to be the best. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of me, a lot of that is still in me today. Well, yeah, so it's apparent. I can, yeah. And I, and I compete with myself so yeah. much. I don't care what anybody else is, is doing, you yeah. know, they could have better farm than I did. They could have, you know, larger genetics access. I've been in those lucky situations where it's just dumb luck, right place, right time. The deer walked by. Mm-hmm. We all, we've all, if you do it long enough, you'll get lucky every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to capitalize on those because they don't happen all that often. <laughs> um, so I've been in those situations where, but I never try to compete with anybody else. You know, with what I see everybody else doing, um, I, I really try to compete. Which is good, though, because I think if you only compete with your, if you're just competing with yourself, there's no bar you're going to set and you're not going to no. reach that bar and then be like, OK, that's good enough. If you're always competing against yourself, there's always room to be better. Now, that yeah. doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're wor- working out, lifting weights, if it's hunting, especially with hunting, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's yeah. always room for improvement. And hunting is a game of mistakes like you're only going to, like you mentioned earlier, the only way you actually learn and like having a good mentorship is important because he's going to teach you, you know, base layering. He's going to teach you about optics and, you know, mm-hmm. guns and all that stuff. And, but you're only going to learn those hard lessons by making those mistakes for yourself. And that comes to hard work and just time yeah. spent. And that's it. Yeah, That's exactly right. No, that's, and that's spot on. And, you know, and I've had people ask me like, what is your goal? I'm like, I, I don't have one. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you got to have a goal. No. It, because it's always moving right yeah i'm, yeah. I'm never going to reach the finish line ever well Today exactly I die, yeah you know? exactly and and that's the thing is like when you were working undercover your goals might have have been one thing but now they've evolved into something else so that exactly by having yeah. no goal no bar to set you're always striving you're always reaching you're always working to improve and and for something else and life is, is different right when you're 20 years old you have different goals than you do when you're 40 years old so yep Yep. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, and, and I might, I might set these little small tiered goals that are trackable, you know, for me, and it might be, you know, public land, archery, spot and stock, you know, bull elk or, you know, something like that Mm -hmm. in in Wyoming or, you know, in Montana or something like that. I might have little goals and little life goals, little bucket list hunts, you know, this year I'm going to scratch a couple of those by heading to Africa you know, oh, nice. that's been something I've always wanted to do. And, and, um, you know, and the funny thing about Africa is I always thought it was cool and the animals were cool, but I didn't really have this big desire to go. And then what's happened over the years is now I have this desire that I want to photograph Africa oh, and yeah. I want to see the orphanages and I want to see where this meat goes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that's the story that I want to tell. The animals are just a byproduct. You know, the hunt yeah. is just a byproduct of that, that I want to go and check out how hunting, you know, has contributed to their economy and stuff like that. So, um, and it's just an awesome experience, right? I mean, yeah. so those, those are my little life goals that kind of keep me on pace, but the ultimate goal, like you said, it's ever evolving. It's ever, mm-hmm. it's, it's changing constantly. It's moving, um, you know, it's, it's not a steadfast hard line. And, and that's what I love about hunting yeah. is you can never reach the ultimate goal. Never. 
No, never. So uh, I, I like that, you yeah. know, and some yeah. people that intimidates, you know, about not ever. What, what do you mean? You could never, you could never reach the finish line. You know, this is the mm-hmm. dumbest thing in the world. No, this is great. And I think yeah. a lot of that comes with maturity, you know, as you get older and also not caring about anything else other than your, you know, what your goal is, your mission and competing with yourself. And I think that has a lot to do with it too. And it's mm-hmm. just, a, it's just a great thing, you know, especially considering that it wasn't that I didn't grow up doing, you know, I got yeah. into hunting very late. I was 21, 21 years old. I think mm-hmm. when I bought my first hunting license. So, um, man, I wish I would have started when I was a kid, but, uh, Yeah. And it, well, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, um, it might be different if you did, maybe it's, it would have been different than it is now for you. So, um, I might not have had the appreciation, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and I might not have looked at things the way that I look at them, you know, because I didn't really get into bow hunting until I was probably 28, 29. And, um, I think sometimes maybe it takes a little bit of maturity. Yeah you know, on your, to get into something like that on your own, you know, I didn't have influence from buddies to be like, this is the bow hunter lifestyle, or, you know, this is the meaning of this. This is why we do this. I didn't have anybody to ingrain, you know, some of those thoughts. So I think getting into something by yourself, I think it does, you have to be a little older or a little be a little bit more mature to understand and appreciate some of those things. So, I mean, I'm glad the way it's all worked out. Um, I love to see where things are going next and, and everybody says, what are you looking forward to? And my response is usually the next time. Yeah. Whatever's yeah. the next time. That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny how you talk about, uh, getting into bow hunting a little later on in life. It, it, bow hunting is something that takes, if you're not a bow hunter, you don't understand it or you don't appreciate the discipline it takes. I mean, just archery itself you know, the complexity of it. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, um, to learn that by yourself, I mean, that's something else because like I, I learned from a great shooter. And so, you know, I didn't have, you know, a lot of mistakes that I would, that maybe someone like yourself went through, I didn't have to go through them. Um, so, I mean, it takes a lot of discipline to overcome that and to get to be a good bow hunter. And a lot of people just give up. And I find that even present today. And a lot of people are like, ah, it's just too hard. You know, it's, it'd be really cool to be a bow hunter, but it's just too hard. Yeah. I'll just grab a crossbow. Exactly. Right. And you're like, okay. Um, but I'm going to tell you, it's, it, it's not as cool as, as being a bow hunter. No, no, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, um, and I've learned so much more as far as, patience and restraint Mm -hmm. and the appreciation and i can see the the the, you know i can see the deer's nose twitch at 20 yards i can't see that happen at 400 yards no and again not taking anything away from rifle hunting because a four five six hundred yard shot that comes with its own skill set you know as well um but for me it'll always be my preferred method of a weapon is always going to be a bow um, but like I said, I, you know, I, but I do enjoy some, you know, some rifle hunts, mm-hmm. my moose that I shot Saskatchewan back in December, uh, that was with the rifle. I had my bow in my hand and there was about 175 yards or meters, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> between me and the, <laughs> the moose and he was bedded down in a clearing with about four foot of snow. They had also timbered this field, which is why it was a clearing but they had not picked the logs up yet. So oh, yeah. imagine just a bunch of Lincoln logs sprinkled underneath four foot of snow. 
And that's what's between me and him. And I'm going, okay, I can stick my chest out, grab my bow and start this stalk and completely blow it, which is inevitably what is 110% going to happen. Or I can try to wait him out Mm -hmm. and it's negative 31 degrees Fahrenheit. And I'll just die of hypothermia waiting on this, (laughs) this moose. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I thought, Hmm, that's not a valid option. <laughs> Ethically, I can pick up this Bergara 308 that I know is zeroed in, and I can take this moose right here, right now. And that's what I opted to do. And it took about two seconds to come to that decision. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and have no regrets. Someday, would I like to go after a big Alaska moose or something with my bow? 100%. Big Yukon moose. That'd be, that'd be phenomenal. Uh, but in that time and place for that particular hunt, that was the right call. Mm-hmm. That was the ethical call to make. And, and, uh, and I love it. Can't wait to get him back from the taxidermist. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. That's uh that's a beast. What kind of, ta- what are you going to do for taxidermy? You doing a shoulder mount? Yeah. Shoulder. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yep, yeah. That'd be yep. cool. So yeah, I'm excited about that. And, and, you know, in just two days prior to that, I had taken a really nice Saskatchewan whitetail with my bow, a nice five and a half mm-hmm. year old buck. Um, I send all my teeth in. So whenever I, if I say the age, it's only confirmed by teeth. If I say, I think he was this, then I'm just guessing, but yeah. he was a five and a half year old buck. Um, and even got the match set of sheds from him. Oh, no way. Yeah. From the nice. spring prior. Yeah. The, uh, one of the guides, uh, he really liked one of my knives when we were breaking down my moose and he's just kept commenting. He's like, man, this is a really, really nice knife. I really like this. And, and I said, well, just keep it. And he's like, no, no, we don't, we don't do that here, but I'll barter. I'll trade you for it. And I was like, well, what do you, what do you got to trade? You know? And he's like, you like sheds? And I'm like, I love sheds. I'm a huge, you know, shed hunter. So he says, I've got a nice set of chocolate, chocolate sheds. Um, that I'll give you match set. And I was like, yeah, cool. Fair trade, whatever. I was going to give him the knife anyways, you know, yeah. so yeah. I'm coming out ahead. And, um, anyways, he gives me the sheds the next day and I'm looking at them and I'm like, wait a second. And I take them over to my skull cap, you know, buck that was in yeah. my hotel room. And I was like, do you realize this is the match set from that buck? You know, <laughs> he goes, well, you know, now that I think about it, <laughs> he's like, I did find him about 200 yards from where you killed your buck. <laughs> and I was like, but you didn't know. And he's like, no, I didn't. I, I, this wasn't like a joke or anything. <laughs> it, so just kind of weird happenstance that it worked out like that. But yeah. so well, that that's always add, that added yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What, what are some of the differences between the uh, Saskatchewan bucks and the bucks you used to hunt at home? Bigger. I mean, Bigger. And, and, you know, in Iowa, we've got some of the biggest bucks probably the biggest bucks, you know, in the United States, um, you know, Minnesota, upper Wisconsin, Iowa, you know, cold weather bucks anyways. Yeah. So we have larger body deer, much bigger than like your Florida deer and mm-hmm. Texas, way bigger than the Texas deer. But, um, so that was one of the biggest thing that I noticed. And then also, um, it seems like with a lot of the big pines, yeah, you know, you're going to get those chocolate, chocolate racks and, and even before I was really a hunter, could call myself a hunter, I would watch some of the Saturday morning hunting shows mm-hmm. and I'd see like real tree, buck, you know, monster bucks and stuff like that. And they would be up in Saskatchewan. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just, I was like, 
in awe of how dark chocolate racked, you know, those antlers were. And, and a lot of times they would be filming a buck and they're like, Oh my gosh, this is a buck that we want to take. And they would shoot it. And I'm going, man, I mean, I thought bucks in Saskatchewan were supposed to be big, like his rack, you know, in comparison to rack to the body, like he really wasn't that big. And then they would do their big reveal, you know, oh, yeah. video clip. Yeah. And I'm like, holy crap, that's a 200 inch <laughs> white tail. You know, it's just the bodies are so big. It made the rack look small. Yeah. And uh, very much the case with my buck. Um, so I kind of knew that, you know, ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentally, I kind of told myself, I'm like, you could probably add 10 inches to every buck that you see, you know, what he's actually going to be. But I sat out there, we sat in a blind and, um, it was day two, we were doing bell to bell sits, you know, mm-hmm. and had a little Mr. Buddy heater just to kind of yeah, break the frost off, a little. Uh, yeah. but everybody's like, does that Mr. Buddy heater help? And I'm like, <laughs> like that's debatable it's, it's funny because at the time yeah at the time it doesn't seem like it's helping but i think it does help a little bit oh just yeah that little bite off you yep yeah and this this buck came out and he was just super wide out past his oh, ears nice. and and he had the big sway back and he had the big jowls you know yeah, underneath yeah. his jaw and i was like this is this is a big mature deer and i don't know he's four plus, you know, that part I, I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of, but yeah. So he ended up being a five and a half year old. And, and we think, uh, the moose, um, I popped out one of the teeth. It fell in the snow oh, gone okay. forever. Yeah. And then the second lower incisor I popped out and it broke. And so anyways, I sent what I had to the lab and they just said, look, it's just not enough to sample. Um, but we, you know, we like to definitively age the, age the tooth. We don't like to do guesses. And I'm like, well, since you can't definitively tell me, give me a guess. And they said, if we guessed, we're going to say eight. Okay. Um, so anyways, but yeah, nice, nice moose. He was about, about 47 inches wide. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen the picture of it. It's uh, a good ball. Saskatchewan's good. Yeah. Good. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. That that was that your first first bull moose yeah yeah first one yeah, yeah. first saskatchewan whitetail first uh first first moose ever um and then my only other experience hunting in canada is i was up around that nipigan river ontario area oh yeah yeah so absolutely as far east from you as you can possibly go yeah. just about <laughs> um i went up there on a bear hunt uh archery cool. bear hunt and um i need to have him officially entered He's been scored. I've just never officially entered him, but um, according to our research, he'll be the number five all-time archery Ontario black bear. Oh, nice. Wicked. Yeah, they, there's some big bears out there. Same with uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. They get some big, big black bears mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. yeah. We don't get them that big in uh, in BC, I think just because mm-hmm. the competition from all the all the other stuff, you know, the sure. grizzlies, the wolves, grizzlies, and, yeah. and yeah, everything else. Yeah, so. That's pretty wild. Well, I was up in, uh, you know, I was up in Alberta filming some stuff for a client. And while we were hunting, we came out one, we walked in, in dark and we came out at daylight and, um, after the hunt that, that day, that morning, and there's this big billboard. And I was like, what in the world are they advertising in the middle of nowhere? Like what business is dumb enough to make a big billboard and advertise? Yeah. Cause you might see three cars all day drive <laughs> past it. 
and it said, welcome to grizzly country. Oh, yeah. Be careful. <laughs> and I'm going, Oh crap. You know? And uh, so I asked the outfitter that we were staying with, I said, do you guys have a lot of grizzlies? He's like, no, you don't have to worry about that. You know, they just put those signs up and I said, okay, whatever. So I go to my phone and I'm flipping through like the local news and it's like man eaten in his tent <laughs> from grizzly in Alberta. And uh, so I, I said, dude, there's a grizzly that just ate a dude in his tent last night. And he's like, what does it say? And I forget the town name, but I told him the town name. And he's like, ah, that's like, that's like super far from here. You don't have to worry about that. So curiosity gets the best of me. And I type it into my map to see where it's at. It's 17 miles away. I'm like, you're so full of crap. I'm like, dude, that could have been, that grizzly bear could have been hunting with us this morning. You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah, grizzlies, they kind of just, uh, they kind of do their own thing. They kind of do what they want. Um, yeah. I, if I, mean, I was that big, I would too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, like, when I moved, I, I'm from northern BC, the north coast of BC. And up there, you get big grizzlies, like big, big grizzlies. And down here, the grizzly bears are big, but they're not nearly as big as they are. Uh, are up up north and even you get the brown bears along the coast they get pretty big and those things freak me out yeah they're they're intimidating but i mean yeah. you know i mean a 300 pound black bear is gonna mess you up too right so yeah, yeah. uh you know i've had run-ins with with grizzly bears uh and and some close calls with black bears and i tell you man you know they both you got to check your shorts after both of them because you know either yeah. one of them are gonna mess you up now, I know that the black bears will do a lot of bluff charging and they pop mm -hmm. their jaws and that kind of stuff. Do grizzlies do bluff charges or do they just charge? Uh, no, they, they'll do the same thing. I mean, they act the same way. They'll as huff, a, huff and puff. And huff and puff and sit there and they'll, you know, they'll gnaw their jaw at you and, and, and yeah. stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, we, I've, ha I've had instances where I've had to release bear spray on brown bears. Oh, um, crap. Yeah, we've had some close calls. Uh, we, were, we were on a goat hunt in uh, the Kootenays. Uh, a few years back and we were coming out of this drainage and the guy I was with, he was in front of me and we were walking down, we were walking down the side of an old avalanche shoot. We didn't want to walk up the middle of, cause it was really yeah. loose shale and it was high grass and plateaued ridges on the other side. And it was really nasty and slippery to walk up. So we just said, Hey, let's just walk up this. Uh, we'll walk up the side of this rock shoot. And then uh, that yeah. way we still have, we still have the ability to jump off the rock off the old landslide and into the grassy area if sure. rock started to slide down so we're about halfway up and uh we're walking up this slide and all of a sudden he's like hey shh, shh, shh. so i i stopped and it sounded like there was a barrel uh, an old log like a log rolling down the hill towards us and then just as i look up i seen something in the corner of my eye jump towards us and then I duck and roll out of the way and uh, it goes flying past us. And I mean, I, it, I, I barely seen it. It could have been a giraffe for all I know. Right. Like it was so yeah. close. So I get, all I remember is that we get up and then within 20 seconds, we're halfway up this shoot standing in the middle of it, looking down below. Right. And we can hear the bear down there grumbling away, just going, Oh, it messed itself up. It just basically came right at us. And then it went over the side of the, it went down that rock slide. And so we're sitting there looking at it and we're like, 
we're bullshitting ourselves, right? We're looking yeah. at it. And then, but now that by this time we got our guns out, we got, you know, we got a, <laughs> we got a chamber rack and uh, we're like, okay, well, let's just wait here to see what happens. Cause we didn't want to turn our backs and find out. So we were, we sat there for a bed and we could hear it moaning and moaning. I was like, okay, well, let's just, let's just walk back to where we were and we'll quickly get up the side of this hill. We walk back up and then we look down and we can see he had a kill there. He or she had a kill not far from where we were and we were walking up towards it and we could just got too close to its kill and then the, it just came right at us and but like i said man i i just remember that black black dark brown coming at me and the guy i was with he's like yeah that was a grizzly it came charging right for us so um but yeah yeah, yeah crazy stuff it you gotta give me so respect big. yeah yeah, yeah they're and huge. i think like so my black bear was 545 and, huge and like people don't understand you know like how truly big that is yeah it's massive they're they're thinking like oh what if it's like a 500 pound human or something like that and i said no no like this thing's on all fours and they're just so enormous you know they're just so big and they're so powerful that i don't think people understand and and uh, there was a video clip that somebody had sent me and it was maybe a 175, maybe 200 pound black bear that had caught uh, a pig in a wild boar uh-huh. and just bit a hold of it and just started walking it up this, up this mm-hmm. hill. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very steep incline and it's, you know, a hundred pound pig. And I yeah. go, can you pick up a, a hundred pound dumbbell or a hundred pound weight in your mouth and just walk it up a hill? How about just like, pick it up and walk up a hill? Yeah, right, period. <laughs> yeah. And I said, so just think of the raw power that it takes to do that. Yeah, man. I mean, these are apex predators. And and then, you, like you said, you go into the brown bears and you go into the grizzlies. Like, those things are freakishly, freakishly scary big. Like, we're talking nightmare shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, the, the, the you know, the, the grizzlies and the brown bears, I mean, for the most part, bears are bears and uh, you know, a 300 pound black bear is going to mess you up, but grizzlies are, they're just, they're engineered a little differently than the black bear. You know, they got the, those big nasty claws. Yeah. Uh, they're just, they just have raw power. Like they can easily drag away 1100 pound moose. No problem. Just drag it away. Yeah. Like it's yeah. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's insane. It's so wild. They're, um, I went on a trip several, so a few summers ago, um, Jason Matzinger and Sam Soholt, a couple of guys, we all went on this trip on Sam's big public land bus. And mm-hmm. um, we went to, we started out fly fishing in Idaho and then Utah and then ended up in Big Sky, Montana. And once we got into uh, to Montana, we stopped through Yellowstone and we went to that bear and wolf discovery center. And they've got a couple of captured grizzlies that um, they you know rehabbed and were injured. And, you know, they nursed them back and, and this one big, grizzly his name was sam i'll never forget sam's claws were the size of bananas yeah each claw was a banana yeah you know so to put that in perspective to scale you know how big this thing was and it's just just lumbering along Uh lumbering along and i'm like this is the freakiest thing i've ever seen you know yeah it's like that to me is a horror movie yeah and it it blows you away as how agile they are for something yeah, so right. big. Yeah. So yeah. big. It looks like they're so it looks like they're slow. Yeah. Like I said, they're just lumbering along. But when it's time to, you know, oh, yeah, man. shit and get, 
I mean, they're quick. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they know they know their top dog too. I mean, oh yeah, um, yeah. It's pretty amazing seeing those things. They're they're fun to watch too. I mean, I love. I'll stop and watch. You know, glass grizzly bears and watch them all day. No problem. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I've never, I've never, I've never seen one. Um, I mean, even when I killed my black bear, I was about ten foot off the ground um, in a tree. And uh, I had taken a, a hang on tree stand on a piece of crown crown land, mm-hmm. you know, public yeah. land. You're yeah. all you're all public land, but um, it just climbed up about ten feet. And I would have gone higher, but the rest of the tree above me was dead. I didn't right. know it. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, oh crap, this is as high as I really want to go. And um, I mean, you know, the bear. I've got my bear. He's he's full mounted. You know, cool. standing, not not aggressive. Yeah. But I've got him standing with his paw like around like an aspen. He's just oh, yeah. taking a little yeah, break yeah. or whatever. And um, I mean, the top of his ears are touching my eight foot ceiling. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's and, that's and a big I, bear. I, I tell people, I was like, I'm ten foot off the ground in the tree. Like, if he wanted me, I was yeah. done. Yeah. He, he could he could have me. He probably could have just pushed my tree over. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Uh, but even if he wanted to, just stand up on his on his hind legs he could have just swiped my tree stand and knocked me out of the tree anyways yeah well and what's crazy about those black bears is they have the claws to climb the tree where like a grizzly bear it's just got those straight sharp razor blade like banana like claws and they can't dig them into a tree where a black bear yeah it still has access to a tree so uh yeah yeah. no matter where you where you are you're really not that safe so no no it's just It's it's wild and and I remember after I shot my bear I I went and got some Tim Hortons got a little double double action oh nice yeah yeah and then uh, I sent a message to uh, to old Steve Eklund and and uh, you know sent him a couple of pictures of it and stuff like that and he was he was ecstatic he was pretty happy for me so yeah no neat. doubt yeah he just got a polar bear I saw that yeah I haven't talked talk to about him. talk uh, about top dog yeah polar bear yeah now what is the rules on polar bears aren't can you can you import those to Canada? Because I don't think we. Well, he he got it in Canada, so he got it in the Northwest oh, Territories. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, yeah. cool. There might yeah. be a few in the northeastern end of the Yukon, but for the most okay. part, they do most of the polar bear hunting in yeah. uh, the Northwest Territories. So gotcha. Yeah, because I didn't I didn't know exactly where he got it from. Yeah, now you guys can't. You guys aren't allowed. Correct. To to bring them into the United States. So what they do is they they do mannequins and stuff. Um, so you're not allowed to bring the hide or anything back to the United States. Um, so they have to do just like, a they do the, but apparently they're really good at it. So apparently just they can full, get full blown replicas. Yeah. 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 So, um, That's but, pretty wild. Yeah. you want to talk yeah. about a big, big bear. Yeah. Old, old Stevie, Stevie E. He's a character. Do you know Steve? Very well? A bit. Yeah. 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 Chat a bit, but yeah, yeah. he's, he's a character. Um, and, and you know, and I tell you, I would say on percentage, and, and not just because I'm doing this podcast with you, I'll be totally truthful on percentage Canadians to Americans. You guys are batting a thousand. Every Canadian I've ever met is like always like the coolest guy. They're super <laughs> chill, laid back. And um, probably most of them are hunters. So that kind of helps, you know, but, um, but yeah, it's, I love going to Canada every chance I get. I love hanging out with Canadians. I love hunting and telling stories and hearing stories um uh, from canada and uh i always keep a lot of loonies and toonies in my pockets whenever i go never know yeah well that's good man it's funny too you say that because i mean it's it, you know since i started this podcast i get you know i get the pleasure of talking to a lot of you guys down there and i'm going to say the same thing about you guys there mm-hmm. so pretty cool i think that's the deal we like you you guys like us we just don't like each other here 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. But on uh, on that note, John, I'm going to wrap this up. So maybe yeah. just uh, run through your list of where all the Canadian folks can find you and follow you and all that jazz. Yeah, yeah. So Instagram, johnny.utah.hunt. Um, that's going to be your most up-to-date, you know, day-to-day type content. Um, my show is called Primal Divide, and you can actually watch that on the Waypoint TV network. So anybody that has Chromecast, Sling TV, Pluto, Roku, Amazon, uh, you can you can um, watch it straight there, or you can just download the app on any smart TV or tablet device and watch it after the shows premiere on Waypoint. Then I put them on my YouTube channel, which is also uh, called Primal Divide. But, uh, and if you're into turkeys, want to mm-hmm. kill some turkeys, there's bourbon barrel calls on social media as well. Cool. I'll put all the links up in the show notes and, uh, yeah. and thanks a lot, eh, man. I really appreciate it. It was good to meet yeah. and uh, blast having a chat. Yeah. Well, and I've been meaning to point this out. I absolutely dig your logo. I've been staring at your oh, hat cool. the entire podcast, and <laughs> Thanks, I'm like, uh, I dig that Focus logo. Yeah, cool, dude. Well, I appreciate it. Okay, man. Yep. Thanks a lot, eh? Hi, brother. Again, everyone for tuning in to the focus hunting podcast it's coming at you as part of the waypoint outdoor collective quick shout out to the sponsors of the show vortex optics the best in optics period backroads maps books never get lost with backroads maps aku boots yo to your feet scree hunting gear now if you guys check the show notes you're going to find some promo codes use them save a bit love you guys talk to you soon <laughs>